You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. All right, I don't. Uh, all right, you're getting two today, and this may be uh, the Thursday episode, but I, I don't feel like this can wait. I am at the gym, which is uh, I, it was a rare Wednesday night where I had nothing going on. I got to go to the gym, and then I went and ate at a restaurant. And uh, th- so I'm sitting there, and th- somebody on the on the POTUS Politics at Sirius XM channel, which is fantastic, well worth the subscription if you're a political nerd, uh, was talking about some article about a senior administration official in the New York Times, and I-, I didn't really catch all of it. So I went to the New York Times to check this out. Hoo doggy! Uh, you're listening to The Chris Spangle Show. Uh, this is uh, the second for today, so maybe tomorrow, unless I, I, I probably, I'm on a roll this week. I am very fired up about uh, um, uh, things that are going on. So so I'm sitting there, and I'm reading it going, okay, okay, yeah, normal, all right. Oh, oh that's creepy. So let's see if you can guess what I think is creepy in this article. So a senior administration official wrote an op-ed for the New York Times, and this was posted today. I don't know what time, but I think it was later. I don't think it was, I don't think it was early morning. And it's an anonymous New York Times op-ed, which right off the bat, you know, the New York Times says this is rare, and so they're asking people, you know, leave comments if you have concerns. So they already kind of know that they probably shouldn't have just posted an anonymous blog, <laughs> which is what this is. You know, so... And there's really nothing in here that everybody doesn't already know. Like it's it's definitely the highest verification of of basically what was in the Fire and Fury book, and it's all stuff that we already kind of know. And like that's the thing about the Bob Woodward stuff. I remember when Fire and Fury with Michael Wolf was coming out. I was like, when is the tell all from Bob Woodward gonna come out? Because that's always fire. Like that's always with Bush and Obama. It was always it wasn't as hot during the Obama years, but during Bush, it was always explosive new details because the press wants to damage a, a right-leaning person as opposed to you know Barack Obama they didn't really go in on him even though there was juicy stuff in Woodward's book on Obama so but all of that stuff that they're talking about in that book none of it's surprising like and it, just because it's not, not nothing new and it's not surprising it doesn't mean that it isn't significant but you know, as as the Michael Wolf book kind of illustrated, there's been a steady drumbeat to invoke the 25th Amendment with Barack Obama, or with Barack Obama, with Donald Trump, that he's mentally unfit to serve in the office. Now, uh, Comey, who certainly has a bone to pick with Obama, or a, okay, this is going to be a thing because when I get something stuck in my head, it doesn't come out. Um, <laughs> so Trump. He said Trump is high intelligence, but we all kind of see that Trump is like you go watch clips from Trump in 1989. There's clear slippage in terms of his mental acuity. I mean, I'm a guy that eats a lot of hamburgers, you know, so I don't have much room to talk. But when you've just been eating nothing but KFC for your entire life and you're 71 and enduring incredible amounts of stress and you don't exercise, it's it can really wear you down. So. Uh, I imagine the the physical toll on Trump is phenomenal at this point, and not in a good way. Phenomenal. 
So, so I do think that he probably is slipping into repetitive habits and, and things like that. But does that mean that he's mentally unstable? No, I mean, just because someone is a complete narcissist, it doesn't necessarily make them a mentally ill person, and he was unfit for the job to begin with, but the American people already all knew that he was unfit when the majority of America, according to 270 you know, electoral votes, voted for this guy. Like, It's not like he got elected on uh, Clinton-like brilliance. And then with this legal acuity that was top of his class, and then all of a sudden devolved into just a nut. Like, he, he was a nut before. So, the, the, the 25th Amendment where members of the cabinet basically say he's incapacitated and can't serve, um, shepherded by Birch Bayh, Evan Bayh's dad... Uh, I believe in the 60s, after in the late 60s, after all of the JFK stuff, uh, they wanted to write into the Constitution a way for there to be some triggering of a transition to the vice president. But there is a subtle drumbeat, and there has been from the very beginning, that, that the 25th Amendment needs to be invoked, that this guy is too mentally unfit to be president. I don't hate the argument because I think when you when you watch what the, this guy does and how he reacts to things and and, and you know reportedly in this Woodward book, Matus uh, Jimmy Mad Dog Matus saying that uh, he has the uh, the temperament and mental acuity of a fifth or sixth grader. I don't. I mean, you watch the guy. I mean, he's he's got a. He's definitely got some issues, but I don't know what they are, and I don't think it's appropriate for psychiatrists to be diagnosing him from afar. The American people elected this guy. We all just got to get through it. So, here we go. Um, this is titled, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. So, I wanted to do this emergency episode, because I think you're going to hear a lot about this, and I want you to just hear the information and hear it for yourself. And I want to give you some thoughts about it that I don't think you're going to hear other places. So, but I want to read this to you. Um, the New York Times says, The Times today is taking the rare step of publishing an anonymous op-ed essay. We have done so at the request of the author, a senior official in the Trump administration whose identity is known to us and whose job would be jeopardized by its disclosure. Such bravery. We believe publishing this essay anonymously is the only way to deliver an important perspective to our readers. We invite you to submit a question about this essay or our vetting process here. I think there's going to be a lot of people who study journalistic ethics, uh, and they're going to wonder, you know, was this appropriate? But the reality is journalists use anonymous sources all the time. I myself have been known to talk to reporters on deep background just to give them information and say, hey, you should go look over here. Might have done it today. <laughs> you know, so there's there's always, you know, that that's how journalism works is you, you build up a network, you talk to people, and you get anonymous sources. Now, what doesn't normally happen is an anonymous uh, writing. I think the most prominent in my adult life was Michael Scheuer's um, imperial hubris, and Michael Scheuer was a CIA analyst who was on the Bin Laden desk and basically trashed the Bush administration. 
And it, the Scheuer-like character in The Looming Tower, which is excellent, I think it's on Amazon Prime, uh, he, he's the Scheuer-like figure is kind of a villain, and he was certainly a villain when he published this book anonymously, but it eventually came out that it was him. Uh, and Michael Scheuer is, I mean, by all accounts, just watching his demeanor kind of an a-hole, but it doesn't mean that he was wrong about really much of anything that he said. <laughs> Um, but he was trashed because he wrote this anonymously. Now, I hate anonymous stuff. Like I, Harry and I go back and forth about this because he loves the anonym, anonymity, anonymity of the internet, and I hate it. Like I kind of hate that I don't know the people in our Discord group, and that people are con- conversing with each other, and they don't have. I, there, there's just people when they put their name on stuff. First of all, I like courage. I like when people are willing to say things publicly that they that everybody is thinking, and I think that transparency is good. Um, now, so I'm not crazy this is anonymous, because I think who is saying it is important. The New York Times could be saying this is a senior White House administration official, and it could be Jeff Sessions or, you know, someone directly under Jeff Sessions. You know, is it a person brought in by the White House, by the Trump administration? Is this a person that sees the Trump, sees the Trumpster every single morning? Or is this somebody that never sees the president at all and some low-level staffer? Now, of course, it doesn't matter if it's Jeff Sessions. Uh, Trump, when this name is finally revealed, and it will be revealed, because this person wants a book deal and wants an MSNBC contract and wants to be known as a, as a courageous resistance fighter. Meanwhile, you're pussy ass is putting anonymous writings in the New York Times, like man up and put your name on it, or woman up and put your name on it. Um, So I think it matters who this is, and that's kind of why there will be some discomfort with the Times uh, actually printing this. But I think it's it's important for people to hear, but take in and, and know that this person can say whatever they want because they're anonymous. Now, do I trust the New York Times? as an editorial staff. Yes. Uh, and so here's why I do trust them. I do trust them in terms of establishment media. I I find a lot of their reporting to cover things that a lot of other people won't cover. I find it to be very thorough. I find them to be reporting things that other people won't cover. But that doesn't mean that you don't read what they say and take it with a grain of salt. So just yesterday, we were talking about Adam Liptak, and uh, he's the Supreme Court reporter for the New York Times, and he doesn't understand gun rights or rights and how they interact with us at all and and government. So you have to, anything you ingest, including this program, you have to go back and read this stuff and verify it. But um, So I trust the Times as much and probably the most, of any of this establishment media, right? Like, I know they have a bias, and I know they like to pretend that they have no bias, but come on. You know, but of the people who have their bias, which is towards power, towards the way things are, towards the left, but towards, you know, like this person who is part of the system, as you'll see, that's their bias, And so when you read their stuff, you have to recognize that they have a bias and they have a point of view 
and uh, it doesn't match up with mine a lot of times. You know, I I, I prefer to read Reason and Antiwar.com all day long because the, I agree with them on almost everything. So, <laughs> but I think you have to go out and read stuff that you don't necessarily agree with. So, on with the article. President Trump is facing a test to his presidency unlike any faced by a modern American leader. It's not just that the special counsel looms large or that the country is bitterly divided over Mr. Trump's leadership, or even that his party might well lose the House to an opposition hellbent on his downfall. The dilemma, which he does not fully grasp, is that many of the senior officials in his own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. I would know. I am one of them. To be clear, ours is not the popular resistance of the left. We want the administration to succeed, and I think many of its policies have already made America safer and more prosperous. But we believe our first duty is to this country, and the president continues to act in a manner that is detrimental to the health of our republic. That is why many Trump appointees have vowed to do what we can do to preserve our democratic institutions while thwarting Mr. Trump's more misguided impulses until he is out of office. Okay. I'm reading this, and I'm like, all right, okay. I, on one hand, believe that every person who takes a government paycheck, and every citizen, every person that, that is in this country, but especially those who are employed by the government, take uh, an oath adhering to the Constitution. And the Constitution is written as a set of rules as to what those people are not to do. It is to restrain them. And so I think if you're a senior administrative official or a low-level official or a congressman or a congressional staffer, I think your goal, your mission is to be Constitution first and boss second. You know, Constitution first and will of the mob second even. You know, so if you're a senior administration official, your job is to put the Constitution first, the country first. Um, but here's the problem with the Trump administration. Trump is so inept and so incompetent, as you'll see, and as we all know, that he had to staff his entire administration with people who are bushies, who are people that, you know, are just establishment-like creatures. The guy has an affinity for people who went to Harvard, Yale, and all these Ivy League schools. So, you know, as much as he talks about cleaning out the swamp, the guy hasn't cleaned out the swamp. I mean, Brett Kavanaugh, his pick for Supreme Court, look at look at his record. You know, Bush lawyers, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, like you can't you can't get more swampy than Brett Kavanaugh. Like the guy is literally Michael Keaton grown up. Uh, Michael P. Keaton. Um, am I saying that right? That you know, Michael J. Fox's character from that '80s show. He's literally that guy grown up. <laughs> so he's been a, Re- a Reagan Republican going all the way back to the to the OGs. So, you know, Trump has staffed his administration with establishment people. And uh, th- the problem with that is that you have a very different idea of what should be done by the government and how it should be done than these people. Now, part of that's good for us because... 
Trump's a nutcase who changes his mind every five minutes. And so you kind of want a grown-up in the room going, no, now we're not going to fire nuclear weapons at Kim Jong-un. So you want some of that. But I'm also uncomfortable with the idea that if you are a change agent, so there's two type of change agents, right? There's there's Donald Trump, who is this wild populist who is just kind of crazy. And then there's like Gary Johnson, who is, okay. And then there's like Ron Paul, <laughs> who if you put Ron Paul in the White House, the reality is there aren't enough Mises fellows and Bastiat Circle members to fill out an administration in the executive branch of the United States government. So you're going to end up hiring Republicans and maybe even some Democrats to fill out a lot of these positions. And so what happens when the perfectly sane Rand or Ron Paul is your president and they have they want to do things that the establishment doesn't like? Are you going to end up having this same thing? Are you going to, going to end up having this, uh, there's grown-ups with their hand on the till, you know, we'll let the press handle the, the you know, the, the idea that Ron Paul was crazy and racist and all this stuff. It's like a lot of it is just a house of cards built out of words by the media. You know, they want to push this narrative that Donald Trump is mentally unfit to serve as the president of the United States because it serves their agenda. It serves their narrative. You know, so you have to be really careful when you get to the point where you're going, I'm, should I buy into this or not? Like... I get torn about it because I think Trump is hilarious and I think that he says some things that I like and there are some impulses like pulling funding from Pakistan and, you know, when he listens to Rand Paul and pulls the clearances of of Brennan, I wish he'd lock Clapper and Brennan up for their perjury. Uh, So there's things like that where you're, you know, and obviously... um, Supreme Court, two Supreme Court justices. One of them was a Cato, like wrote for the Cato publications at one point in Gorsuch. You know, so obviously there's benefits to him being president in addition to great content and hilarity. (laughs) But there's also all the bad that comes with that. Um, You know, so I'm real torn a lot of times on a lot of things that are going on because, you know, Trump is a wild man. By design and just because that's who he is. But but we're not in like a crisis of democracy because the administration continues to operate like a regular administration in a lot of ways. So that's good. But then when senior administration officials see it as their job to pretend that change shouldn't take place and they start undermining their boss, eh, that chain of command thing is important. So are they following the Constitution or are they following what is what is appropriate? So this so let's continue on. Um, the root of the problem is the president's amorality. Anyone who works with him knows he is not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision making. Uh, although he was elected as a Republican, the president shows little affinity for ideals long espoused by conservatives. You're going to chuckle at this, libertarians. Free minds, free markets, and free people. Someone's been reading Reason magazine. At best, he has invoked these ideals in scripted settings. At worst, he has attacked them outright. In addition to his mass marketing of the notion that the press is the enemy of the people, President Trump's impulses are generally anti-trade and anti-democratic. All, all of these, all, I agree with all of that, 
right? That was always part of the gamble with Trump is that he was amoral. He's a deal maker. That was always, you know, former co-host argument that you want somebody who is amoral because you could end up getting better job, better deals for liberty if you have someone who isn't beholden to these long-held traditions. Um, so, you know, it was always a gamble. And, and he has no fundamental ideology. That's been a huge part of my problem with Trump is that Trump, you know, I argued against that idea that of the amorality. Is It's that then you don't know where the guy stands. He can be persuaded by the last person he talks to, and that's been shown to be true. And, you know, so the best and worst of all of everything that we said in 2015 and 2016 about Trump leading up to his presidency has kind of come true. Don't get me wrong, there are bright spots, he writes, that uh, he or she, that the near-ceaseless negative coverage of the administration fails to capture effective deregulation, historic tax reform, a more robust military, and more, which is all true. If Trump just went silent for the rest of the midterms, the state of the economy would probably mean that the Republicans would retain both houses, but he can't help stepping on his own D. But the successes have come despite not because of the president's leadership style, which is impetuous, adversarial, petty, and ineffective. From the White House to the executive branch departments and agencies, senior officials will privately admit their daily disbelief at the commander-in-chief's comments and actions. Most are working to insulate their operations from his whims. Meetings with him veer off-topic and off-the-rails. He engages in repetitive rants, and his impulsiveness results in half-baked, ill-informed, and occasionally reckless Decisions that have to be walked back. There is literally no... Now, this is a quote from somebody else. All right, so all that, I agree with all that. That has to be the way that it is. Because he says one thing one day, and the next day he says something different. And he's constantly changing his mind. And, you know, the the constant calamity that is the daily life of the Trump administration must be significant. Um, Now, as libertarians, we kind of like that chaos. Because that chaos makes the government in a lot of ways completely inactive. His inability to hire people, it it was a beautiful thing because all the alphabet soup wasn't getting staffed because they didn't know how to hire people. And so the the alphabet soup bureaucracies of the executive branch just weren't doing anything. Hallelujah. (laughs) Um, This is a quote. And I don't know why this person put this in here, because if you're directly quoting somebody else, then they can easily trace it back to you, because there's a witch hunt coming. Uh, There is literally no telling whether he might change his mind from one minute to the next, a top official complained to me recently, exasperated by an Oval Office meeting at which the president flip-flopped on a major policy decision he'd only made a week earlier. The erratic behavior would be more concerning if it weren't for the unsung heroes in and around the White House. Some of his aides have been cast as villains by the media, but in private, they have gone to great lengths to keep bad bad decisions contained to the West Wing, though they were clearly not always successful. It may be cold comfort in this chaotic era, but Americans should know that there are adults in the room. We fully recognize what is happening, and we are trying to do what's right even when Donald Trump won't. The result is a two-track presidency. Take foreign policy. In public and in private, President Trump shows a preference for autocrats and dictators such as President Putin and Kim Jong-un and displays little genuine appreciation for the ties that bind us to allied like-minded nations. I mean, that's not a surprise. We can see that in his statements. Like We can see how he reacts to Putin versus 
all these other people. You know, it's just, and it was always kind of that way. I mean, that's who he is. But at the end of the day, American democracy is going to purge him out of the system sooner rather than later. You know, he's not, he's not moving the military into the Congress to take it over. Like, everybody take a chill pill. Astute observers have noted, though, he writes, that, that he or she, that the rest of the administration is operating on, on, on another track where countries like Russia are called out for meddling and punished accordingly, and where allies around the world are engaged as peers rather than ridiculed as rivals. On Russia, for instance, the president was reluctant to expel so many of Mr. Putin's spies as punishment for poisoning of a former British spy. He complained for weeks about his senior staff members letting him get boxed into further confrontation with Russia, and he expressed frustration that the United States continued to impose sanctions on the country for its malign behavior. But his national security team knew better. His, such actions had to be taken to hold Moscow accountable. This isn't the work of the so-called deep state. It's the work of the steady state. All right, so that's where it got creepy for me. So we know what the president thinks and wants, and we know that he is the president, duly elected by the American people, but we, the unelected bureaucrats behind the power, need to make sure that things operate the way that uh, they've always operated. And we know that he's an agent of change, and we know that he's a clear expression by the majority of the American people, at least in electoral votes, that uh, they want things to change. He is not the he is not the problem. He is the symptom of the problem, and he was sent there to make change. Now we understand that uh, as senior administration officials, but this is just how things are done. We're going to make sure that they're done a certain way, and um, f the American people. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> We're the steady state. We're not the deep state. We are the deep state, but we're going to call ourselves the steady state. How creepy is that? You elect Rand Paul or Ron Paul. Are they going to concoct some sort of narrative that this person is unfit to be in office, that he colluded with Russians, or that he's mentally unfit to be in the office? And beat that drum for three years almost so they then have the moral leverage in their minds or the ethical uh their their uh ethical dilemmas of circumventing the way that the american people have chosen is eased because well he's a russian agent but on the other hand (laughs) What if he isn't a Russian agent? What if this guy is going to lead us into World War III? Don't we want people stopping us going into World War III? I think this is something that needs to be looked at a lot closer and examined much closer, but we're not going to get that because what we're going to get is, who is this? Who is this? This person's a traitor. This person's a hero. Who is this? Oh, this is the person? Give him a contract for MSNBC and a book deal. Over on Fox News, crucify him. <laughs> so it's going to be about, it's like the Edward Snowden stuff. It was never about what Edward Snowden released. It was about who was Edward Snowden himself or did Edward Snowden do the right thing? It was never about what he said. And so that's a real problem. Uh, you know, we get, we get distracted by the BS as opposed to the substance. This, this person 
let me rephrase that. This isn't the work of the so-called deep state. It's the work of the steady state. Now, the intention behind this statement is that we're just the steady. Listen, uh, here. Given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for removing the president. But no one wanted to precipitate a constitutional crisis, i.e. Americans pissed off that the steady state overthrew their choice. So we will do what we can do to steer the administration in the right direction until, one way or another, it's over. One way or another, it's over? That's a creepy line, too. The bigger concern is not what Mr. Trump has done to the presidency, but rather what we as a nation have allowed him to do to us. Now, here comes the, the strategy that has never worked. This has never worked against Donald Trump. The plea for a more civil America. And I'm going to talk down to you because I have worked in politics my entire life and I've participated in creating the environment in which we exist. But I take no responsibility for it whatsoever. I take no responsibility for my transgressions. I'm going to condescend to you because I have a position of power and so therefore I am a leader and I must exhibit leadership and I want my legacy to... Uh, be remembered fondly. And so you must understand that you all must start acting in a certain way that shows decorum. After all, we're Americans. Don't don't do what we do. Just do what we tell you to do. <laughs> so this, this strategy of trying to appeal to people's sense of civic pride and responsibility and appealing to people's sense of doing what's right and what's better has never worked against Donald Trump. It didn't work with Jeb Bush. It didn't work with Marco Rubio. It didn't work with Ted Cruz. It didn't work with John Kasich. It didn't work with Hillary Clinton. It's not worked with anybody who has opposed Donald Trump ever. The American people are pissed at you. They don't need you talking down to them, telling them to be better. But I've got to, I've got to uh, signal to my friends in Washington, D.C. at the cocktail parties that I go to that this is, I have to say these things. It's, a, it's like you have to say certain things because, listen, I didn't vote for Donald Trump, but, you know, I don't like some of the things Donald Trump says. In fact, he's a horrible person, but he's right on this thing. Like, there's always got to be a qualifier, and it's completely for social proof. It's because you don't want people to think you're a bad person. Which in and of itself, it's like, just say what you believe without qualifying it. It's so annoying. Uh, the bigger concern is not what Mr. Trump has done to the presidency, but what he has done to our nation and what we have allowed him to do to us. We have sunk low with him and allowed our discourse to be stripped of civility. Senator John McCain put it best in his farewell letter. Ugh. All Americans should heed his words and break free of the tribalism trap with the high aim of uniting through our shared values and love of this great nation. John McCain's love of this great nation was, what can government do for me? The man had five, 16 houses. He, I don't, he didn't even remember in 2008 how many houses he had. And meanwhile, in 2008, he was cursing out reporters and abusing them. He was calling his wife the C-word. He was advocating for overseas wars at an alarming rate. Like... Be like John McCain. John McCain was an asshole. 
Like, do you guys not remember 2000 and 2008 and how much the press reported on what a, what an absolute jerk the guy was and how unfit and mentally unstable he was to be president of the United States? We need a calm hand like Barack Obama. We can't have a wild man starting wars overseas like John McCain. Meanwhile, Libya, Syria, Yemen, uh, you know, the bombs go on and on. The hit parade continued under Barack Obama. So when they condescend down to us and say, be like John McCain, we don't believe we don't believe you. We have memories, too. We're not idiots. Like we remember who John McCain was and we remember who Barack Obama was. And we give we gave you Donald Trump. So you will stop. Stop all the bull. Stop the charades. Stop Joe Biden crying crocodile tears in front of a casket saying we need to be better when he was the one standing there in 2008 going, they're going to put you all back in chains to a crowd of black people. You're full of it. You're full of crap. We may no longer have Senator McCain, but we will always have his example. A lodestar for restoring honor to public life in our national dialogue. Mr. Trump may fear such honorable men, but we should revere them. Basically wanting you to think that he is one of those men, whomever wrote this anonymous op-ed, a real picture of courage. There is quiet, a quiet resistance within the administration of people choosing to put country first, but the real difference will be made by everyday citizens rising above politics, reaching across the aisle, and resolving to shed the labels in favor of a single one. Americans. Now, when Republicans and Democrats start talking bipartisanship, hold on to your wallets because you're about to get screwed. This notion of we all just need to come together as Americans is nonsense. We can come together as Americans, but only if you believe in individual rights, free markets, peace, and all of the things that this country was founded on. If you don't believe in the founding of the country and the principles that made this nation what it is today, then we don't have anything to discuss, which is why I don't like John McCain. John McCain didn't represent the foundational principles of this country. John McCain advocated for a large, aggressive government that did things in, in, in what he thought was best. He was a central planner. Lindsey Graham is a central planner. Donald Trump is a central planner. Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, central planners, people who think that they are so intelligent, so moral, so heroic, so uh, educated, that they know how you should live best. I'm sorry, you and I will never have anything in, in common. Because I don't want the government to do anything for or to me. We're never going to, we're never going to come together. We can be friendly. Like, I agree with that. I agree that there should be bipartisanship and that that John McCain should be friends with Joe Biden and that they should be able to sit together and have discussions about ideas and then come together on what those ideas may be. But at the end of the day, like, I'm advocating for a limited to no government. And if you're going to advocate for Medicare for all, we don't have a lot to discuss we don't have a lot to discuss. <laughs> like we can get along. We can go to each other's, you know, birthday parties and pool parties and, you know, uh, pizza parties. <laughs> but uh, 
we're 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 not going to. Uh, that was a joke. <laughs> it was just for some of you. Some of you got that that uh, joke about what's happening with these senators. But uh, there's at the end of the day, there's not a lot of common ground when it comes to policy between me and John McCain. It, there just isn't. So condescending to me, saying you just need to be more bipartisan is really like you saying you're a dumb person who doesn't understand what it's like to be in government and so therefore do what I want. No, not how it works. I'm your boss. I'm in charge of you. Okay, senior White House administration official, don't tell me how I need to behave. You behave. Have some balls and put your name on what you're saying. If you think Donald Trump is that awful, resign. Well, I'm I'm serving the greater good by undermining everything that the President of the United States thinks. Okay, well, you're creating a constitutional crisis then. So you're not really honorable. You're really just a weaselly piece of garbage, like we thought. So I can't wait to find out who this person is. I, I, I'm so excited because uh, my thoughts won't change. <laughs> All right, so that is my breakdown of this nonsense. Um, I'm I'm just angry this week. I don't know what it is. You listen. I like the last night's We Are Libertarians three thirteen started slow, and then I by the end I'm like full rant mode. <laughs> the show earlier today, I'm just ranty this week. I've got a lot to say, a lot of anger about other things happening in my life, and and people abusing people that I care about because they've been popular their whole lives and they think they can get away with it. But I can't say anymore. So I'll take it out on this guy. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Thanks so much for joining me here on The Chris Spengel Show. I appreciate it. Love you guys. You guys are the best. Thanks for joining our Patreon and uh, supporting this program and all of the We Are Libertarian shows, which if you haven't checked those out, please do. All right, and uh, listen, if you like this show then please share it. The numbers are growing. They're going up. They're, they're growing steadily. They're up about, um, they're about double what they were last week and about double, they're about quadruple what they were the week before. So I want to see us, um, I, you know, the week before there were 200 an episode. Then last week there were 400. This week there are 600. I want 1,000 next week from you people, which I can only do with your help. I need you sharing this show. I need you telling people about this show, telling people about We Are Libertarians. You have no idea that when you do that how much of an impact that actually makes on other people's lives because when they hear this show, they start to understand politics. They start to understand that they have power. They understand that what they need to do in life to get their power back instead of feeling like a victim of against the government. You know, and we're, we're a very safe show. We're a very safe network to share with people. We're fun. We like to have fun. We don't take ourselves seriously. We give you a lot of notes so you can fact check us. We're a very good introductory show to share with your friends. Um, and these are meant to be shorter, so then you can share them with people and so they don't get scared off by the two-hour length of the We Are Libertarian shows. But... Uh, yeah, great voicemails too. WeAreLibertarians.com. If you ever have any comments about the shows that we're doing here or anything that I say, go to WeAreLibertarians.com. You can leave a voicemail now. And I got three amazing voicemails, which I posted up pretty much everywhere. 
at this point uh, because they're so real. They're really cool. We'll play them on We Are Libertarians. You'll hear them. But if you ever hear anything on the, on this show that you got a question about, I'd love to do a whole show just of questions and answers from you guys. So if you have any questions about libertarianism, politics, media, religion, any of the things that we cover here on the Chris Spangle Show, go and leave me a question or comment via the voicemail over with on the Speaker Pipe app there on WeAreLibertarians.com, and I will answer those for you. All right, thanks so much, and we appreciate you listening, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow.